Welcome to Between the Bullet Points, a podcast series that celebrates the journey and lessons about vocations and career paths. My name is Sean McDonald, and I'm your host for what I know will be interesting and insightful experiences from a variety of professionals across an entire spectrum of occupations. When we look for a new job, it's standard that we submit a resume, which contain bullet points with job titles, responsibilities, education, and other information. However, we rarely share the thoughts and stories that occur between the bullet points, and those can be some of the most significant parts of a person's career. This project seeks to inquire more about a person's professional journey that is not always evident from their resume. The career stories that guests will share are unique, interesting, and seldom told. I believe that each of our stories should be shared, as they can be inspirational and lessons for other people to start or influence their career paths and decisions. I'm excited to be interviewing Mr. David Williams here today, who is a very accomplished professional with a variety of experience, and I'm proud to know him as a colleague and a friend. Dave uh, has had a great career, most recently as a cooperative education coordinator in career and technical education. He was a former CTE architecture technology teacher, and he still maintains his love of coaching uh, with cross-country and advising students uh, on many different levels. David, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being a guest and sharing your career story. I'm glad to be here. As you know, the purpose of this podcast is to discuss your career path, occupations, and the opportunities that you chose. We certainly want to talk about how you got started in your career, but what we really want to highlight is how and why your career developed, perhaps due to your knowledge, interests, experience, connections, and sometimes by chance. In other words, what happened between the bullet points? If you could just tell us a little bit about your current position as a cooperative education coordinator to help our audience understand some of the things that you do. Well, as a cooperative education coordinator, my primary uh, function is to assist students in finding jobs where they would be able to apply what they've learned in their uh, career major programs. And so we look for that uh, primarily. The group of students that I work with are career development students, as they're called in our district, who may need more assistance in finding jobs. And what we, well, what I try to focus in on is helping the students to have a work experience before they leave school. So primarily being a liaison between our school district, the students, and the employers, that's my job to make sure that it works out well for everyone. So taking these high school age students typically uh, in their 12th grade year. Yes. Uh, 17, 18 years old in, in that range. And being the liaison, as you mentioned, the transition between school to work and getting them their work experience, maybe introducing them to one of their first jobs, if not their first. Uh, uh, many times that has been the case, Dick. Just one of the things that I just see over and over that's a common theme is that once students have a work experience, some we try to do it uh, directly related to what they're studying, but once they have a work experience outside of school, school becomes a lot more relevant for them because they realize that there are skills that they're going to need in industry no matter what they do, and so math, reading, and writing becomes more important when they have those tasks that they have to perform uh, even on a basic level, day-to-day on your jobs. I think every single one of us have, have gone through school at some point in time and said, why do we need to know this? Or how is this relevant? And and that really answers the question when it, it comes home like that. Well, I, I do this at work. I need this for work. Or I'm motivated because of work right now and some of the things that, that we're learning in school apply, especially if it's a career in technical education school. 
So this is a good point. Where let's go back to your story. Let's go back to the day that, that you were in school, maybe that middle school, high school period of time in your life. And, and you can kind of imagine yourself as the students you're kind of guiding right now. And your story may have been a little bit different, maybe similar to some of the students that, that you guide now. But you're, you're a local guy. You grew up around here, I believe, in South River, correct? That's correct. And what was your family dynamic like? Mom, dad, family, brothers, sisters? Yes, uh, mom and dad. There were six of us. I was number five. So we grew up in uh, South River, which is a small town. My father eventually worked for Rutgers University. He started there as a custodian, and others encouraged him. They said, you know, why don't you think about getting the maintenance mechanic uh, that you could make more money? My father couldn't do it because he didn't have a high school diploma. So 55 years old, no diploma. My father was from Georgia. So they said, well, we can help you do that. He came to Middlesex County Vocational Technical Schools, the adult program here, which aided him in getting his high school diploma. After completing his high school diploma, he took electrical classes here, electrical, probably some plumbing and some other general classes. I I still have the certificates from the late 60s where uh, he took those courses and uh, he was able to become a maintenance mechanic at at Rutgers. Wow, that's that's a very interesting story, especially to go back and and not have a diploma in order to get through that portion and then go on and take other classes and and get that certification and and education. It didn't make us rich, but I I guess my pilot's point of view was better than the way it was. Absolutely. It's an improvement in working towards that. So that's that's a great story. I I appreciate you sharing that with us. So while you were growing up, did you witness that? I mean, did you see him actually going back to school? Oh, yes. Okay. And how did that impact you? Well, you know, I didn't know what Votec was, so it was one of those things that was uh, that was learning experience. And uh, the East Brunswick School had just been built, and that was a big project, a lot of construction and development going on in East Brunswick at the time. The mall was being built, uh, Brunswick Square Mall, which mm-hmm. was a new thing. And uh, we, you know, go by the school, and it was a new place, and <laughs> just uh, you know, when something is new, there's a lot of buzz about it. Yeah, and so that's how. Uh, I got exposed to the programs that are here. And what did you think of those programs at the time? Was that something that you were interested in? Would you Could you see yourself someday taking some of those classes or anything like that? At, at the time, no. Uh, I really wasn't sure what I was going to do. And one of the things that directed me in the – I found that I had a real interest in is uh, – in well, they call it middle school, but the junior high school – seventh, eighth grade, had an industrial arts class, and there was a drafting class there. I took that seventh grade, eighth grade, and uh, I loved it. And I guess uh, lightning struck, and I knew that that's what I wanted to do. I also had in the back of my mind, uh, I know where I could get more training that way, and that was at Middlesex County Vocational. So how did you then come to be? The, uh, you know, uh, the counselors came, and they set up the the date, and they said, you know, students from the particular schools, they would come here and take a test to get into the school, and uh, I got my acceptance letter, which I was very happy about. That that's how, that's how it started. I came in, and at that time, they had a six-month exploratory program, mm-hmm. so half a year. Okay. So you spent uh, three weeks in uh, each of those programs. Then in uh, January, mid-year, you selected what your uh, shop was going to be your career major, and I selected uh, architectural drafting. 
you came to the technical high school. You came into drafting. You went through the exploratories. You certainly settled that if you had any question or doubt. And after you've gone through the exploratories, you were you were more sure. Yes. About the architectural drafting. Let's just go back again. Second, family, friends, other things like that too. You're now in high school. You're going to the technical school. You you are number five in your family. Yes. So there's a lot of influence around you. And you talked about your dad already, and that, that's a wonderful story. What did other people think about Dave going to the technical high school and going for architectural drafting? Is this, you know, hey, great, go for it and, and support it? Did you know anyone else in, in the world of architectural design? Uh, I, I, did, I did not know anyone who was, who, who was a draftsman at the mm-hmm. time. But it was just uh, one of the things that happened in my life that was very interesting. My father always liked to tinker, mm-hmm. and I'm proud to say he holds a U.S. patent. And uh, for his invention, he needed to have a, a drawing submitted to the patent office. My first exposure to a person who was professionally a draftsman who would make drawings. And so that was my first taste of seeing that, that done. But my three older brothers, mm-hmm. uh, one of them, my second oldest brother, actually went to the culinary program in Woodbridge. And uh, he went at night, so I uh, had some exposure there. The three younger ones in my family, uh, my sister, myself, and my, my youngest brother, my sister attended East Brunswick. I attended East Brunswick, and my brother attended East Brunswick. Family. Family going to East Brunswick. Yes. Technical. My mother wound up coming here as well. My mother was a beautician for many years, but developed uh, allergies to some of the chemicals that she worked in. And so mm-hmm. mid-career, my mother was 60 years old. She uh, applied here for the LPN program. And my mother, we still have her lamp and her certificate and uh-huh. her pen and cap, graduated from the practical nursing program that they had here. Ah, really, when you say you have a family that has gone here, yeah. you have an entire family that has gone here. So uh, that's a wonderful story. And that's that's a lot of career majors and some very good jobs and, and wonderful stories to, to come out of all of those. So that's good. So you're going to the technical high school here in East Brunswick yourself. But I bet you never really thought of at that moment whether you thought of actually being the person that's in the front of that classroom. That was not one of the things that uh, I thought of. The thought crossed my mind occasionally, but I really like I like drawing uh, on the drafting boards back in those days. Mm-hmm. Uh, the instructor that I had, if he learned nothing else, you, you, you had to take pride in your work. That was what I liked to do. <laughs> so when I did a drawing that was good— uh, I guess having no problem with self-esteem, I would tell myself I did a good job. Excellent. And uh, I, I knew, I knew that I did. And the cohort of uh, students that I was with, we all sort of uh, had a very good, friendly competition of being the best. One of the things I, I remember uh, the instructor would have us, you know, if we all worked on a project, he would have us put all the drawings on the table, put them in the order. Worst to best, and uh, that that that's a workup call because then you you see that uh, you know sometimes there was a big difference, but as we did that more and more, the differences became very small in the in the quality of work. So the competition itself inside the classroom, making those drawings and, and yes. noticing the detail and and the the imperfections to perfections, really and drove you. Could you could see what a good drawing looks like. You could see what a bad drawing, and then you choose which one you want it to be. Okay, I like that. Okay, so you get to the end of your high school career. 
and where do you go from here? What's what's your thoughts at this point? What are you uh, pre- preparing in your mind to well, next steps? Uh, as uh, senior year progressed, uh, looking at colleges and things, uh, finances weren't quite there. So uh, I did apply to uh, Middlesex County College, and I took courses at night, and I commuted. And then they, they said, well, you know, actually for the program that you – New Jersey Institute of Technology would probably be a good next step. Mm-hmm. And so uh, for 10 years, I commuted back and forth to Newark, New Jersey. Yep. It was Newark College of Engineering and now New Jersey Institute of Technology. It was very different then, and uh, it, it is what it is. And so uh, I, I was a commuter. You were a commuter during that time, and it, and it took you a certain amount of time to do that. You just mentioned that, and that's that's great. I mean, that's the – the options uh, that pretty much everybody has, you know, can I afford to go right away and spend all my time so doing this? I, I was working and uh, doing those. There were plenty of jobs. Drafting at that time was very labor intensive, so you needed a lot of people to do it and do different. If you left one job, it, it was very easy to go get another job, especially if you had the skills to do it. So while you were going to school at Newark College of Engineering now NJIT, you were working in the drafting field? Yes. Okay. And what kind of jobs would they be? Well, uh, the progression when you first came into uh, most companies at that time, uh, you were the blueprint operator. So you were the guy that when they had drawings that needed to be copied, no copying machines at that time. Mm -hmm. You actually had to run them through a blueprint machine. And if you needed 100 prints, you ran it through 100 times. (laughs) And, uh, and then once they were ran through, they had to be folded, and then sometimes uh, a seal was put on them. That was, that's where you started. And then right. you next progression was uh, you'd become a tracer. So you'd start tracing the drawings because the drawings were done. Many times you, people might hear the term uh, a tracing, mm-hmm. and that literally was uh, a drawing was done in pencil, but most drawings were done also in ink on linen. Once the designer did it, then you traced it in ink. Okay. So you were a tracer, and then you became a junior drafter, and then that, that, that was the progression. And the first company that I worked for was a company in North Brunswick. Uh, they're no longer there. They produced industrial furnaces. So I'm kind of equating this. Obviously, there's a progression of jobs and, and your entry level, and you're copying blueprints and, and doing that and moving up as a tracer and, and other job titles. Uh, you know, I equate that to today's jobs. If you go into the carpenters union to be an apprentice and to move up, it's it's pretty much the same story, right? Become a journeyman and you know eventually move on higher to other things. So, in that job in that day, and probably still is in in other respects, pretty much the same progression. You get a job title, it comes with a small raise, yes, and you move up the scale. And when you weren't making blueprints, uh, they had an old lathe that was in the back of. Uh the machine shop there because they all, most places that had draftsmen, they, there was always some type of manufacturing associated with it. The learning part of the job was uh, draw the part, take that, take that lay the part, and uh, draw the parts. And as you got to some, you know, some of the parts, I didn't know what they were. Okay, so you're asking a lot of questions. What's this part? What do you, mm-hmm. what do? You do? Uh, and they, okay, no, we don't draw those parts. Those parts are purchased. These parts are manufactured. Then you, oh, and then you learn the difference between uh, purchased parts design parts, parts made from scratch, mass-produced, and some that are custom. So I'm curious now. So you're taking time to go through college. You're getting your bachelor's degree, and you're working on your bachelor's degree. 
and you're working here at the same time in the field of your choice. So during that period of time while you're working and you're going to school, are you uh, being influenced by anyone or, or any particular job or anything that stands out in your mind that guides you to your future, to your next step? After you obtain your degree, is there something that during that 10-year period while you're working and going to school that says, this is the direction now I want to go. This is what I found in order to get to the next step. As I was being uh, introduced to the, the field, I, I'd studied architectural drafting, mm-hmm. and I was doing a non-architectural job because this was industrial furnaces. And so I did want to do something that related more directly to architecture. At that time, the friends that I had, you know, most of them were working as well, going yep. school part-time, some going full-time. I got a job with a consulting company that did HVAC, plumbing, and electrical for commercial buildings. And so that's the job that they had. And uh, that that was more to my liking. You know, furnaces were interesting, but they, <laughs> they really didn't look real nice. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, working with the uh, consulting engineer was uh, more in line with what I had been trained to do, okay. working architecturally. So that was a, a big plus. And then you just see that there's a whole wide world of mm-hmm. uh, engineering and technical fields and technical support that go into any type of project. I think we can relate because I think we've discussed this before. Uh, and there's a, a large thing in education, especially in career and technical education, that sometimes it's, it's as important to figure out what you don't want to do as it is to what you do mm-hmm. want to do. Uh, we tried that, been there, done that, right? Let's move on to something else. So here you're drawing, uh, you know, heating parts and, and things for furnaces. That's not pretty sexy, right? You really have a passion to go for the architecture yes, uh, and other fields. And, and you got a little bit closer to that and, and you found out what that's like and, and it's certainly up your alley. Now you graduate college. Well, I, d- I didn't finish. So, but it was one of uh, the things that uh, I... I lament at this point because I'm very close, but uh, I've been in, inspired by my, my current employer, uh, my current director. I, I'm going to go finish just because he did. So, I, <laughs> uh, so uh, you say, how do things influence you? I think that that's, that's given me some inspiration. Uh, that's very I'm, interesting. But, you know, I, you're not the first person that, that obviously I've talked to and, and interviewed, and I, I never realized I mean, when you work with someone, you do talk with them. I, you never know their background until we do something like this, right? So obviously, you've gotten pretty far in your field, and you've you've done many things, and and it didn't obviously matter. No, uh, and in, in, in this case, and and you know, obviously, you want to go back and, and 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 whether you do or not or whatever, and that's your own personal choice. Professionally, you've gotten pretty far, and yes, you've accomplished uh, many d- things regardless of that. So, but you know. Uh- one of the things that uh, I, I, I did recognize is having technical skills in a particular area mm-hmm. is good. I've also come to appreciate that the education that goes along with it and those credentials make a difference. And uh, my father was a very practical man, and I, I could just imagine him sitting to me. He says, look, I know you know how to drive, but you've got to have the driver's license. <laughs> you know. So yeah. if you want to make it legit, that's what you have to do. True. And so in, in that aspect of it, so you're an accomplished person. Well, how do you demonstrate that? So being competent is one thing, but 
driving and having a license, same skill sets, but one says that, uh, you know, you've met certain standards and you're qualified and, and you're legal to do certain right. things. And others will recognize that as well. Sure. And that's very true. Uh, and there are certain circumstances that, that, you know, prevent us from going on to something else if we don't have certain qualification certifications, you know, a, a license to do something, a license to drive. Obviously, if we got pulled over and we didn't have a license at all, uh, that could be a, a major issue. Uh, for me to become a school administrator, and I had to, you know, get a certain degree in and had to apply for a license. Now, here's here's the interesting difference. This is kind of like why I highlight this a little bit too, is because eventually, and and we'll get back to this, but it's a good segue at the moment that you became a career and technical education teacher, and there's a lot of misconception out there that a lot of times when people think about teachers, they think okay, you go to college for four years, you get an education degree to teach. And you become a teacher. So let's say some people, and I know these people in particular in, in some cases, that they get further down the road in their life and they go, you know, I always wanted to be a teacher. But we always think about that typical teacher and the math teacher and the science teacher the, and the history teacher, you know, the English teacher. And, and those are the people that have gone for education degrees. But in career and technical education, it is not required to have a degree in the field that you're teaching necessarily or a bachelor's degree, or even an associate's degree. So the very minimal requirements would be at least four years of experience in order to, uh, to teach the subject that you're teaching. And that, that's critical, obviously, because there's a lot of great people out there in the world that have a lot of great experience and who decide that I really wanted to teach. And we need them. We need those kind of people. So even in your case, where you know maybe it wasn't a bachelor's degree yet, that you had a lot of experience in drafting and all that. And and you decided that you wanted to be a teacher at some point in time. We'll, we'll eventually get there. But it's important for those people out there to know that, that this is one of those areas that is not necessarily uh, or necessary at all or, or required to have the degree in order to be a good teacher in this in this area. So that's, that, that's something that we need to get out there and, and kind of hammer a little bit. If you have a degree, that, that's wonderful. Uh, you know, I've got a couple of master's degrees myself. I would never hold back anybody from saying get, get a degree. But I would never, ever say you must get it to follow your passion and do whatever you're doing. And especially even this, you know, the, the idea of teaching. Well, so now now you've, you've been drafting. You got into architecture a little bit here. And you've been going to school. So your next job change comes up to where? Actually, I was working for uh, a company. And uh, my, I had an aunt that was a, a teacher. And she always told me that, you know, you, you, you'd be a good teacher. You'd be. And I thought not. And uh, she brought to my attention that Middlesex County Vocational Technical Schools was looking for a drafting teacher. Mm-hmm. At first, uh, I was a little excited. And then I was, well, you know, I don't have my driver's license. So how, how <laughs> am I going to be able to do this? Right. And she goes, well, you go find out. So I, I had nothing to lose. I, I put in an application, sent the resume in. And I was called for an interview, and uh, the superintendent, assistant superintendent at the time, they, they explained how things in vocational education work for people who are non-degreed. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was not aware of, of that. And uh, at the time for my particular certificate, teacher of skilled trades, drafting, would mm-hmm. uh, require six years' experience mm-hmm. that, that you had to document. And so uh, I was able to do that easily. 
plus with the, the other technical courses that I had taken. And I think they smiled happily that I was a graduate of the district and that that's what made me think seriously about it. And so when an offer was made to me, I accepted. It's been a very positive experience. Uh, I've learned each year so much, not only from uh, the students I've encountered, but the people that I've worked with over the years. Yeah, so you've you've come home. Yes. You, you went through East Brunswick Technical School, and uh, eventually now you, you're teaching there. Are you teaching in the same room that you were learning in? What's Actually not. Okay. Uh, that, that, that room, when I first started, uh, I was actually at the Piscataway campus, and uh, they had a program there. I was more of an academic teacher at the time. It was called Related Drawing. So the uh, auto mechanics and welders and carpenters, they came for blueprint reading and mechanical drawing. And that program went on until uh, related subjects. It was, so it was called related drawing. Uh, related subjects were done away when the core curriculum came in, and so there were no more related subjects. And that, that meant uh, the end of the line for me because uh, they had no more related subjects and there was not another place for me to go in the district at that time. It just so happened that the architectural drafting instructor, who was my instructor, uh, retired that same year. So they, uh, they said, okay, well, you know, this is the end. And then they said, nope, come back. And, <laughs> and so they said, you know, would you consider this position? I, I certainly did. So you took the reins from your former teacher? Yes. And you moved on. That's, that's, that's a great story. I, I, I was on the other end of that, actually, when I left my uh, position. Uh, I turned it over to, to one of my former students. So that's a, a wonderful feeling to have on this end. Uh, I'm sure it was great on your side to to pick up from your mentor. Yeah, uh, big shoes to fill. So when you're teaching that, then um, would you think about your experience of being that student in that seat and how you learned and did well that it helped you teach better? It, it certainly did because there were certain traps that you know that, that people are going to have. And one of the things that I found uh, – that most of the time, it's not the technical skill, but can you understand it? And I remember many times uh, I had opportunities to work with the apprentices at night teaching blueprint reading. They've always said that if you can read a drawing, you can make the drawing. And if you can make the drawing, then you can read the drawing. So learning those skills are what I help the students to focus in on. So some were not great draftsmen at all. And they really had no desire to do that, but they did not know that they needed to know how to read those, read the drawings and, right. and apply what was there. So uh, the auto mechanics, they said, well, why do I need drafting? Because there, <laughs> there are schematics that you have to read. And then they go, oh, yeah, that, that's right. You know, those break lines and electrical schematics, somebody has to read them. And if somebody has to read them to you, well, that's not the situation you want to be in. The carpenters... They obviously understood the importance of understanding, uh, you know, drawings, mm -hmm. welders, and others. So there was a direct, uh, direct impact uh, on their their livelihoods. The machinists, and so uh, it was, it was very nice to see that they could see the value of what they were learning. Right. And then you know, with their, uh, you know, their shop teachers encouraging them too. You know, because. Every day they'd come in. If you're in machine shop, you know you're not you're not doing this blind. You know there's a drawing that you're working from. Right. Yeah. It goes across <laughs> so many different career majors, and and you think about that. And where do we get the 
directions from, the plans for, you know, how do we build this part, this piece, this house? How do the different pieces fit together, uh, you know, in any one set of architectural drawings? And obviously from the foundation up through the framing to the roofing and siding and windows and, and everything has its own schedule and uh, put on there. So it's it's very important uh, in that one field, but across many different fields. So, yeah. And, uh, and one of the things I, I, I've, I've learned is I like it. I can almost say that you know, I, I love drafting and, uh, you know, the, the technical uh, aspects of it, you know, laying out and designing things. And I, I found, quite to my surprise, I don't know why I was surprised, but everyone doesn't have the same passion for it <laughs> as I do. So uh, that was the challenge. There were some students that came in and, like me, you know, they sat at the drafting table and they were, they loved it. Others, uh, not so much. And then, so how do, how do you reach those guys? Right. And that that's that that got to be the challenge. And that's a common challenge, actually, for for a lot of what happens here. One of the other things that we know that happens, and and I've referred to this a little bit. Sometimes it's important to know what you don't want to do as what you do want to do, and and inevitably. In every class that we have, you know, not everybody's going to come out, you know, if you have a drafting class or an architectural technology class, not everyone's going to pursue architectural technology. You know, they might do something else. Everyone that goes through the automotive mechanics, I could speak from personal experience, is not going to end up being a mechanic. But a lot of those skills will get used and, and you're much better off for it and possibly even apply to a career or decision or job later on or, or maybe just your personal life. So have you had personal experience with other students that have maybe gone through your program and, and maybe, you know, rightfully acknowledge that this isn't something that they're going to pursue, but have gone off and, and done many wonderful things anyway? Uh, well, when I was uh, teaching the related drawing, mm-hmm. uh, somebody came back, you know, my uh, grandmother needs a shed, my uncle's building the deck, Somebody wants to put an addition on the house. Somebody, uh, they need to do, and, and I was able to do the drawing because of what I learned in your class. That's, that's what, it, what, it, what it's there all about. And uh, sometimes uh, students, they're in a situation where an opportunity presents itself and they have just a little bit of knowledge. Now you become the expert because you, you don't know everything, but you just know more than the people around you. So... That, that gets them going. Right. And as things move from the drafting board into CAD systems, it's, it's interesting. It took, took a while to catch up, but I was actually changed on my first CAD system in 1980. And it wasn't until, I guess, 2001 or 2002 that I actually began teaching anything uh, that was CAD-based because it was all, uh, you know, the hand drawing at that time up until that point. And uh, students that came in and took, you know, and now was in the architectural technology program, teaching that program, that a lot of the, many of the students that took that, they found themselves in situations where somebody said, we got to open up this AutoCAD drawing. Anybody know anything about it? And the guy that could open the drawing and say, you know, you know, just rudimentary things about it, could zoom on the drawing or print it. You're now the CAD expert, and as they go <laughs> along, they, they've just learned more, and they've gotten into uh, jobs that that's not what they started out to do. So my uh, flashback that I just had, too, was, was being in high school, <clears throat> actually even in part of middle school, where I had the drafting class, too. 
and I, I I did enjoy it. You know, there was there was a lot more to that class and that program than I realized. And and part of it was you know putting your your best work forward and being neat and and representing it well. Uh, the smudge marks that became very you know mm-hmm. uh, in the way and, and and a problem. I had to clean those up, which got me going a little bit on that. I wasn't always the neatest person, but even s- such things like line weight. And different things. I, I figure a pencil mark is a pencil mark, and you just draw it and you do whatever. And then I suddenly realize, like, no, there's a difference between a lighter pencil mark or even a different number pencil uh, and a heavier mark, and and that it means something different. And I think that kind of gets lost a little bit uh, when we go to these computer drawings. They're still there. They still have heavier lines and lighter lines, things like that. But there was nothing like learning how to draw a little lighter or a lighter line and and that it means uh, something different and being consistent in a lot of those. So that was a wake-up call for me. I'm sure you can apply that. And, and the transition that I've seen, I've witnessed, and, and you can talk a little bit more about this, of changing from teaching the traditional drafting method uh, with pencils and erasers and papers and taping papers down to boards and to sitting in front of a computer and, and doing that too. And we've come a long way, and yet we've find ourselves coming back a little bit to some of those as well. What can you tell us about the transition to computer? Transition uh, has come, uh, there was a a long time where they felt that uh, having a drafting board and a computer was the way of the future. And then it got to the point where uh, I've gone to uh, some professional development meetings and they said, we don't get a typewriter to teach people how to keyboard. You just teach them how to keyboard. And so to use an older technology to teach a new technology or have that as the basis, there was a time when that was probably the case. But Mm -hmm. now students are coming to school, they already know how to keyboard. They already know how to use a mouse. So some of the things that we had to uh, teach in the early years are basic skills that most students have on how to operate a computer, use a mouse, keyboarding in those times, and how to print. So those are no longer issues. So to have a knowledge of it is very important, but now this is, this is the, the new method. So you get them on the computer and you, you start them out uh, just that way. You know, the history of it and how it looks, there's something to me about a board drawing that a computer drawing could never have. They're getting close in a lot of cases, but... Uh, with the time, effort, and what you could do with the computer-based program, it's just there's just no comparison. And so, yeah, that as that transition went on, I was uh, because I learned on the drafting board. It was a little hard for me to let go, but yep. but this is this is the new normal. So this is this is the way it's done. You know, being at uh, well, you're familiar with the Green Program of Study, mm-hmm. and talking with John Keys, and they said. Uh, they don't do anything on the board anymore. Right. They teach them how to sketch, but everything goes to, directly to that. John yeah. Keyes is a dean of architecture at New Jersey Institute of Technology. That that is interesting because there there are certain aspects that you know maybe it's a little easier or whatever, but yeah, you know, maybe it's time, maybe it's effort, maybe it's a whole lot of things put together. Uh, and you said they are getting closer, and sometimes you you know you can't see the difference in what was printed out of the earlier computer-aided drafting programs, maybe 
look a whole lot better today and, and yes, things like do. that too. So, so, so that whole industry and the classes and everything else have have continually evolved. Yes. And even when you were kind of out of, in high school, out of high school, going to college and doing your drafting jobs, that uh, at a point there was a lot of jobs. You you had mentioned it. You know, there was a, there was always a job available. You can go from one to another. But now we're going to computer, and sometimes that shrinks the market in a way where you know productivity and and one drafting person on a computer can eventually do the work of many other people putting things together and saving time and doing that. Uh, so that has been an impact on the, the job field in itself. Yes. And yet in other ways, that also grows other opportunities. And now we can draw many other things that we haven't taken the time to draw before. So have you noticed a difference in the field, in jobs available, and maybe the students coming through and maybe what their ideas and passions are moving on? Yes, I see that uh, the term draftsman is is going away. Somebody who can just draw is not valuable because with a CAD system, everyone has the ability to draw. Mm-hmm. And so that just being a, a job in itself is not um, – it, it's good, and there are some places that still just do that, strictly draft. But most places are going to require you to be a little more uh, – you, you should be able to do more than that. So when most people, they're looking for people now, they're looking for someone who can come in and actually design. And usually in the progression of being a junior drafter, going, mm-hmm. you would become a junior designer and eventually a designer just by the experience you're getting. Now they're sort of expecting that you're going to come in and be a junior designer right? so that you're going to be able to work independently and I'm not going to give you a tracing that you're going to trace. You're going to come up with the part that I need. And so the demands of and the expectations are not going to be that you are simply drawing sketches that someone feeds you. Mm-hmm. But if here's a problem, there, the expectation is that you'll be able to come out and design your own piece to fit this particular issue. Or if there's updates and things like that. Updates, revisions, you know, addendums, that's always going to have to, you're going to have to go back and, and edit the drawing. But right. as far as a, a career where you're going to start out just just drawing, I think those days are numbered, if not gone already. Sure. Now I, I completely understand that. You mentioned John Kays at uh, NJIT, and he's the dean there. And their department is now called Architectural and De- Design, I believe. Uh, and design is heavily uh, put in that program um, because of exactly what you're saying. You know, it's, it's not just someone who's turning around, okay, draw this. Even I know the architects that work through the um, the school district when we redesign rooms or create new spaces or project new buildings. There's a, a heavy, heavy emphasis on them to well, give us an idea of what it could look like. You know, create it first, and, and then we can help modify it from there. You know, we have some basic things that we need in there or, you know, rooms that, that we know we have. But we have no design experience, and, and that's kind of the, the architect's job now. And it's not just uh, sketch this. It's design it first, you know, make it nice and, and then the, functional. The, the term and, now, and instead of uh, drawing, it's it's modeling. Mm-hmm. So building modeling. So when you're working on a project now, it's one huge model rather than uh, several drawings that you're going to put together. Mm-hmm. Building's alive so that you can make those changes and modifications that you want uh, very quickly. Sure. 
and from 2D drawings now comes 3D concepts, and yes. we can now create a building and walk through it before anything is ever built, right? Yes. And you were teaching that. And uh, the, two, the two, 2D is, is gone. So Excellent. We, and you've brought in other technology into that program as well, and you've taught that, which is now part of some of the expectations of the career pathways that students can choose. So laser cutters and, yep. and other technology that you could do some other modeling mm-hmm. with. It becomes a, an important aspect of preparing students for those types of pathways, correct? Yes. Uh, so with the, the laser cutter that we have, um, you know, years ago, you'd get the X-Acto knife and cut and make a, make a model that way. But uh, now you can do uh, very in- intricate, just some very neat stuff with, with it. Just seeing some models of what uh, buildings that people have been able to uh, produce, you know, it, it can look like this and be you know, 100%, that's what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. So when it's done, you, you you have no question as to what was designed and what was built because that's exactly what it looks like. Both the laser cutter helped uh, the engraving. So a lot of times uh, if you were doing, making a model, you would have to draw your siding on with, with the engraver. That could be done. But that, that was a huge boost to the program because of uh, it's used in college. And, so and so th- those, those are tools that they're going to use. And, in fact, uh, just working with the colleges and going for the professional development, uh, AutoCAD, Revit, Rhino, Maya, 3D Studio Max, the expectation is when the students come in, not mm-hmm. that they're experts at all of these things, but they have knowledge of them. So the graphic representation uh, that we used to call drafting is mm-hmm. now much more. So depending on what it is that you're going to be doing, you'll right. use this program. If you're going to, you need AutoCAD for this. If you're going to render something, you know, uh, 3D Studio, um, you know, Rabbit might be better. And then all of these programs, and it just seems that each year more and more come out that the students need to have a little knowledge of. They they get that. Plus the, the ancillary tools, that the laser cutter being one, how to use uh it's it's endless, no, and then the, next year some will drop off, and you have new ones that come on. Absolutely, and it's, it's tough to keep up with it. It's like anything else in in technology, right? And the, the the new ones are already out. We just didn't get it yet. Yes, and, <laughs> <laughs> and we have to in order to keep up with things. So at this point, I I want to kind of just do an overall reflection right now before we move on to the next part of your career, uh, and and really focus on that being a teacher and a career and technical education teacher. And knowing that you, more or less, you came from the field. And so there's other people out there, you know, maybe they're thinking about it, maybe they're not. I mean, we all kind of um, think in ways that kind of like, it was, I believe it was your aunt how you had mentioned and said you would be a good teacher. And, and we all kind of like know people out there like that, whether they're doing their job and they're um, foreman or, you know, a manager or a journeyman or whatever they are. And they're the ones that are taking other people under their wings or showing them how to do something. What did you get out of the teaching aspect of of your career? What were kind of the rewards? And, And what would you say to anyone that's out there in the field? Let's say they're, you know, a, a designer of some sort and they're thinking about that career change. And here an opportunity may come up in a district somewhere for, you know, architecture technology or a computer-aided drafting teacher or something like that. What's, what, are, what are the things you put together? What would you say to them? 
uh, what I would say to them is uh, come and see what it's like. You know, sit in on a class. We all remember what it was like when we were in school, but school's a little bit different. Come and see, and I think once they see what's going on in schools, and then uh, I, I think a fair question is, you know, what does your experience, what experience could you bring to these students? What could you teach them, or what would you be willing to share with them mm-hmm. that that you know that would be beneficial to them? And uh, most people, if you ask them if they would be willing to share what they know, I think they would very likely be able to say, you know, I, I could share this. Well, you know, these other, well, if you can share, you know, you know, uh, how to, you know, run Revit, well, then you could certainly show someone how to get started to the, to get to that point. And then maybe even, you know, wet your feet to move a little beyond that, you know, sharing what they, they've learned, you know, because the students by and large, uh, they say, if you build it, they will come. If, you know, you present it in a way, they'll, they'll, they'll do it. I think that the students now are really thirsty for those challenges. The people that have the experience can really be a benefit to them. You know, and my particular experience, uh, you know, after uh, many years and, and now come, you know, once I came into the, to the shop in 2002 and doing that for many years, uh, to, just to see the students that I've had that have become so much smarter than I'll ever be, <laughs> uh, you know, you, you have those successes, and they, they tell you, well, I remember you told me this, and they'll, you know, they'll relate a lesson that I told them. Very similar to you, most of the lessons that they remember are not the, the technical ones because that technology is going to come and go, but how to, what to do in certain situations, what to say, you know, and just, uh, you know, some of the professionalism that they've learned, uh, you know, I, at least that's what they tell me. You know, that, you know, whenever you're talking to your boss, you know, always put it in a, in a way that you're showing deference to them. You know, you're asking their approval to mm. proceed with a particular thing. And I try to do that myself. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a lot of people come in and they say, well, you know that your boss is going to say yes to it. But nonetheless, if you do that, that's just a level of professionalism that that sort of expect. And the students, they've, they've learned how to be professionals in the technical skills they, I, I, I'm just amazed. I, I had a student who was, uh, he completed his uh, professional engineering license. I got this request, and I was, uh, I, I was a little floored. Uh, they, they wanted to know what the aspects of the program that could produce a student like this. So <laughs> what, what, what was I doing in the program? And I, the kid was smart before he got here. <laughs> he came with these skills. But uh, he somehow felt that uh, what he received in the program was what made him successful. I appreciated that, but uh, sometimes uh, it's those, those little things of being there, listening to the students, and being a good example, uh, which, which I always tried to be. I, I sort of like white shirts because my, my shop instructor, that's what he always wore. And, you know, some of those things uh, carry on. My experience in education has just been very rich with the students that have become successful and have become instructors themselves. So in speaking of that and, and, and the richness of this, and I just want to deviate a tiny bit, it's not just teaching. It's not just in-classroom teaching and, and obviously the lessons that you give. But it goes beyond that. You got into coaching. And, and you got an opportunity to do one of uh, your passions and, and maybe your own personal exercise habits or whatever. But you also got to see the, the different students that you didn't have in your class. Yes. 
and and you kind of guided them in, in, in other ways. And sometimes that goes beyond the sport as well. So tell us a little about some of the extracurricular activities that, that you got involved in as a, as a teacher. Well, one of the things that um, I've always been a class advisor, but uh, as a class advisor, uh, working with the students, working up to that point where we had the prom, uh, the fundraising, working with them, uh, that has just been a, a joy. And just some of the things that you can teach the students when it comes to how to fundraise, what the money for, where does it go, how to track it, and those those types of things. And most were just, you know, you do a fundraiser and you just bring the money in. Well, when I did it, okay, well, someone's going to take care of the money, and uh, we can't do it by committee, so there has to be a group that's dedicated to when this comes in. And then they could see, you know, well, if we sold $1,500 worth of stuff, how come we're only getting $500? Mm-hmm. Okay, well, that's a good question. You know, here's here's the teachable moment. <laughs> and, uh, oh, okay, so they get a 1000 Well, why don't we buy our own stuff? And get, okay, well, we could do that too. Uh, so they, they, they've learned those things. So being a, a class advisor has helped. Uh, I got into running uh, from another uh, instructor here. He's uh, got me into running, and he also got me into uh, – piqued my interest in working in a day camp. So in the summer, I would work in a in a camp. And I got into running, and I uh, enjoyed it. I became a member of the Raritan Valley Roadrunners. They were a running club, and uh, that's how I got to running. And I wanted to see if I could run a marathon, and I got to the point where, where I did. And I run four marathons. Very nice. And as a result— Where were those marathons? They were, uh, I ran all the Philadelphia Marathon. Good. Yeah. It's just just easier, yep. the logistics. New York City is nice, but it's uh, very expensive to get into, and it requires <laughs> a little bit of logistics because you start in one location, you end some, start in Staten Island, you end in uh, Central Park. So you need somebody on both ends, and depending on how you feel when you're done, you may not want to drive home. You may certainly not want to take a train. So, uh, so Philadelphia worked out good. Good. Uh, for me, I did that. And as a result of that, they said, you know, you've been a runner. We're going to open up a cross-country program. Would you like to be the JV coach? And uh, I did. Nice. And uh, as a result of that, you get a lot to teach uh, students about, um, about you know, perseverance. Because when you go out to run, it's not something that you want to do every day. But sometimes you, you have to. Mm. And then... I tell the students, you know, once you've gone and you've accomplished so much, well, the same skills that got you to run, not be able to run one mile to get to run 3.1 miles under 20 minutes, which is a, is a good high school goal. Well, if you have a history test or science test or math, guess what? The same things that were able to get you from running less than a mile to running three miles, it's the same process. Right. Got to stick to it. You got to do it, and you have to practice it. So if you want to be good at math, you, you know you just can't do it once and say I'm done. Mm-hmm. You got to run and train every day. That's great. And uh, the students, uh, they appreciate that. So they they hear me. You know, hey, do it with a purpose. Okay, so let's go on to the next part of your career here, and uh, that's to become a cooperative education coordinator. So at some point in time, you've decided that you know maybe. This is an opportunity I'd like to pursue. 
a job that I'd like to take. Uh, in some cases, we can look at this and say, okay, it's a lateral move in a way that it's still within the teaching field, um, but you're, you're doing a whole other aspect of education. Um, so it requires some certification mm-hmm. and for you to make the, the decision to, to go for that. So tell me how you came about the, the idea and the decision in order to go for that. After being in the drafting field for, you know, some length of time, I, I, growth is something that uh, I like about – well, one, let me just start it like this. Uh, professional development has guided a lot of decisions I made because some of the things you, you never think about. But I remember one particular uh, session I was in, and they talked about growth. If you're doing the same thing and you've come to a certain point, then it's time to grow. Mm. And they say most people who are in any position, uh, especially, you know, if you look at administrators, that that's not the job they started out with. The superintendent didn't start. That was day one her job mm-hmm. or his job, uh, depending on the district you're in. And so they grew into those positions. They looked for other opportunities you look for other challenges how can i use what i know in a different way right that can still serve my district and still be helpful to them and be of an interest to me something something that would be new for me to do and i try to always look at what i could do differently in the different district uh in in the district and what would be a challenge one of the things that at one point i considered was uh uh spanish hmm. And so uh, I would have gone on for Spanish certification, and uh, that might be a, another thing that I do. But uh, mi segundo certificado será español. So uh, I have a good number of credits in, in Spanish. Nice. And uh, so uh, that, that's an interest that I have as well. And so uh, that, that served me well in, in school. Um, course, you have a large population of students and mm-hmm. parents who are Spanish speakers. Sure. And not that we're going to conduct all of our business in Spanish, but certainly can make a person feel more comfortable if you can at least greet them mm-hmm. in your language. And uh, you find out, you know, it's just a, a, it's a bridge many times. And so uh, looking for challenges, things that would be new, how can I use my, what I've learned in a different way. Right. And that's what we teach our students to do. Okay. So then you got the idea. You saw this job being cooperative education coordinator. There were certain requirements that you yes. went and, and you got the, the courses. And, 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 and you know, and, and the direct question to, you know, with, with growth and all, uh, one of my coworkers came and says, hey, you know, you ever thought about this? I have a very uh, direct fellow that I work with. And, uh, yeah, he just said, you know, you know, this is coming up. And, you know, did you ever think about it? And at the point, I, I, I hadn't. But then I said, oh, think about it. He just shoved all these papers and he said, I'm, I'm going to send you an email on this. Think about it. And, and I did. Yep. And I, I thought about it and I asked him a couple of questions. I always knew about the cooperative education program. It's always been a part of the program since I was a student. I, was, I said, that, that might be the challenge I'm looking for because in particular finding uh, – jobs for students who are in technical fields. And that, that's, that's important that we do that. We um, put our students out to our cooperative education jobs 
Uh, they leave around midday and they go work their jobs typically on a, a, a regular school day. Uh, and they're welcome to extend that. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, weekends, holidays, whatever, summers. We've grown the program, I think, in, in some other ways, of my personal knowledge of, and that we have included things that other people will know as internships, mentorships, and other maybe job shadowing and, mm-hmm. and some other experiences that the students get. So um, there's a, a much richer bag in here than, than you do. Now, going back to the requirements of this, obviously taking some classes and wage an hour and, and what the laws are and things like that and making uh, plans for students to go out and, and get this work experience. That's all great. That's, that's for the coordinators to do. But one of the first requirements before you can even get there is to actually be a CTE teacher Yes, and move on from there. So knowing what you do, and we'll get a little bit more into specifics in just a minute, but, but what would you say to a CTE teacher that, you know, has, has been teaching and been teaching three, four, five, six, seven years, whatever, and, you know, here's another option. Doesn't, you know, jobs come up every now and then, uh, but they're important jobs to have filled. So what would you say to maybe some of those CTE teachers that have experience that might be considering getting the certification or possibly looking to apply for a job like that one day? Let them see what the job is. What, what do they have to do? And I, I think the unknown sort of scares people, mm-hmm. and it's worse than what the reality is. Yeah, there, there's some paperwork, but I would tell them that it, it's very rewarding when you see a student that goes to work, how they feel when they get that first check, and especially for a student who has not worked before. That is just something that uh, the student will never forget. The parents will are, are just overjoyed that you you assisted their their child in getting the job and you're helping them on the job so that they they might think that the job stops once you get them the job but there's so much more that a student has to learn the first when they first get a job they and especially you know in early on you know 16 7 uh, well 17 or 18 year old uh, they're mature to a point but they still need adult guidance and you know those regular visits that you make are each teachable moments. And so a student might be learning how come they didn't get paid for a particular holiday if they took off the day before that holiday. So those, those practical things, and then how to keep the job. So what do you do if you go to work and you don't have tools? Okay, so if you're going to be in certain areas and mm-hmm. you're going to be in certain fields, there's an expectation that you're going to have certain equipment. Right. And that, that they learn when they get on the job that, yes, someone will help you for a bit, but you're going to need your own tools. What to do for safety? What what uh, we have students who are working with products that are considered toxic? You know, and some common, you know, just household cleaning products right. can be toxic. And if you're exposed to that, what should you do? Most students don't know. Sure. You know, and so that's what we have to explain to them. And they have a safety course under OSHA. Yes, this is what you can do. And if there's something unsafe, what rights you have as an employee to say, this is unsafe, I feel unsafe, and this is something I should not do. And uh, employers are, uh, appreciate that because a safe employee is, is going to be a good employee, less problems for the employer. Right. Now, you can't come in and run the place, but there are certain things that they, they need to know about employment. Those, those are the types of things that, you know, if you ask someone, how long would it teach, take to teach uh, an 18-year-old that? <laughs> yeah, you know, all all year. 
Yeah. yeah. And, you know, the reason that we have that is they're getting both. So once they see what life is outside of school, then how do you apply it? Make yourself safe, make yourself productive, go on to the next step. And also, you know, you mentioned how the program has gone, grown uh, with the apprenticeships. We can encourage students with the apprenticeships because many times you're unaware right. of that. So a great deal of the time is teaching and showing them. And next year, you got a whole new crop that you have to start from day one. This is how you do it. And, yeah, it's a long – you know, if you do an, an application for ShopRite, it's a long application. Going to be bored to tears. Get used to it. So this is what you – you know, try some of these other. And so they go through those, those types of things using uh, some of the tools that we learned in New Jersey can. What, what are your interests? What are your abilities? And we might have a student that's in auto mechanics that says, you know, I, I'd really like to do welding or I'd like to do something else. We have different, you know, and they, they sort of uh, cross-pollinate. They find out that they have a di- different interest. Well, how can we help them in that particular area? Can mm-hmm. we write a training plan that would incorporate some of what they're doing with what is some of what they want to do? And then what are the requirements? And if you're thinking about those types of things, it requires thought. It requires a person with experience. That's why you can't ask a new person to do this. You need a person that has that, that experience, someone who has worked someplace, had some of those experiences, and can share that experience. If you were to just advocate for cooperative education and the benefits of, of having a program like this, hiring people with these certifications and, and actually implementing this program in especially career and technical education schools, so, you know, from the community standpoint, the employer standpoint, and from the school, and I know in particular you've had a lot of work with special needs students. How do you convince all those groups that this is a viable program, this is a necessary program, this is what we should be implementing? The best education occurs outside of the walls of school. Students will be better students if they have that experience outside where they understand English becomes more relevant when you have to write a work order or a service order for someone and you can't write a coherent sentence and you realize that and everyone around you on your job realizes it, mm-hmm. you go back and it's been my experience that the students do better. If you have to calculate what a bill is or a tab and what a tip should be or you have to do a percentage and you're not good at doing those percents, math becomes very relevant in what you're going to do. If you can't read the tire gauge or whatever, or you can't make certain measurements, it becomes very apparent what you need to learn if you're going to be successful in what you're doing. And that's what these students need because a teacher can tell them all day long, you need to know how to do this. But once they get on the job, it's a requirement for the job. The boots on the ground to go and open these doors and advocate for a whole district. There are, there are so many businesses that are unaware that we have this program. We need people to talk to them. You know, could you share your knowledge about our school district, what mm-hmm. we have? And they're not working alone because many times between the coordinators in the office, if there's an automotive job, I have an automotive expert that I can ask. I know someone who's been in the district long time. How about these employees? What would we know? He's been, been in the business for 30 years, and there's experience there. 
I've been asked sometimes about technical jobs. I don't have the CAD program, but when a student, when a CAD job comes in, somebody asks a question about it. So we sort of cross-pollinate. You're not in a silo by yourself where you're saying, you know, well, I don't know anything about Is this a good job or bad job? Is this a good rate, a bad rate? You know, should the student do this? Well, you have other people to ask and rely on because none of us know, know it all, and we all have a particular expertise. So many times we have to talk with the career major instructor. We have to talk to the student. You have to talk to the parent, counselors involved, all of these. And so those are things that you ask me, can you do that? You're probably doing 90% of that now, but could you do that for more students? You know, Take them under your wing and, and lead them. Or get a group and show them that, look, this is what you have to do. This right. is how you fill out a timesheet. And most people would say, I, I believe they could say yes to that. And then once they get out there and do it, uh, know that they have support. And the contrast of that is to either have the program or not have the program. And the program, obviously, is a little bit extra. You know, it's, it's taking these students and, and getting them out there and finding employers and finding jobs. And sometimes it's easier and sometimes it's very difficult. Sometimes you're cold calling to employers and, and jobs and sites and what do you want? What are you doing here? Who do you want to talk to? And other times you've developed your connections over a long period of time and you keep going back to that well and it's a very fruitful well. Uh, so so that's great. But it takes time and it takes perseverance. It, it takes a lot of thought uh, and, and matching. Our leadership is there to support them, not look at what they're doing wrong or where there's improvement or where you're falling short. The only way you're going to get good at swimming you got to get in the pool you got to do it and the reason that the lifeguard is there is not to drown you you know to, to help you out so uh that that's what they they and i i think if some like, got a little better idea of what it was because even being in the district and being exposed to see mm-hmm. i really was a little apprehensive and you look at the forms and things but that's another thing that, that it's learned if you ask, I think, not out of 10 people, are you willing to help students? Do you believe that you can do this to a reasonable degree? What do you think you would need? And then when there's this, well, no, no, you don't need that. And, you know, and you're not on the road every day. And, you know, how far do you have to travel and what's, you know, because I've heard, you know, people, oh, you, t- you tear up your car. My, my car has high miles. I've got a long commute. So that, that, that's 90% of mine. If yeah. I just had the mileage that I had to drive for work, you'd be very, yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love that. Uh, so th- those are, are some of the things. And, you know, well, what if you can't place a student? That's the nature of the beast. You know, some, sometimes you have one, but there's still things that students can learn. You know, you can still have that Zoom meeting with them. These are opportunities that you can think about, maybe not now, but in your future. Mm-hmm. Here's what you need to plan to do. Have you thought about this? Have you just present them with information that, that you found that will be helpful to them. Can you do that? Yeah, okay. Do you, have you seen a handout? Have you seen a flyer or something? Something from the Department of Labor. And if you share those things with the students, you, you'll, you'll be busy. Well, Dave, I, I have to say, you know, looking back at a lot of your stuff you've done from the time that you were a, a young drafts person <laughs> all the way through, uh, getting your professional development and learning along the way, 
um, to realize that, yes, you would be a good teacher, and in fact, you were. Uh, I've personally known you while you were teaching, and I've, I've certainly seen those great examples. Your students have all given great testimonials to the fact that you were a very good teacher and a caring teacher, and you've gone on to be an excellent cooperative education coordinator. By no means is your career anywhere near done yet, so we're going to have you for a very long time. Thank you. I appreciate that. But you're really doing some terrific things, and students are benefiting from you finding positions for them but guiding them and and helping them, supporting them uh, transition into those jobs, uh, learning what it's like to be an employee, to an answer to an employer uh, for the expectations of that, and to help them uh, with their their personal and professional struggles in some of those cases that they're going to benefit. They're going to have good careers in large in part to your help and guidance. So uh, you've, you, you're always very effective. Uh, you're uh, a very good professional job. Well done. So, so far. Yeah. Uh, and, and we're moving on. I hope to on. continue. I've, but uh, I've, I've always said that uh, from good leadership come good results. So I, I know which way I need to go. I get some guidance on what to do and, uh, you know, trust and support, delegate. I, I quote my father a lot, but I, he said, a willing person, you can teach them anything. So if you're willing, your capabilities really don't matter mm-hmm. because willingness is what counts. Because if you're willing, you can do anything. If you're not, not going to do it, you're, you're not. So if a person is, uh, you know, is thinking about uh, CTE, are you willing? That, that's, that's the number one thing. You understand what employment is? You ever had a job? The rest of the things can be uh, attained. Wise words from some wise men there, you and your father. Dave, thank you for this interview. Thank you for your reflection on your career and, and your wisdom and, and passing this along to other people out there, possibly considering you know careers and career changes and maybe what some of your story can inspire them. Yeah, growth to think and about challenge. That. Well, thank you very much for the interview. That wraps up this episode of Between the Bullet Points. My name is Sean McDonald, and it's my hope that these career stories can enlighten and inspire people that may be contemplating career choices or changes. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on this podcast, please email us at betweenthebulletpoints at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. This has been a production of The Resume Project regarding careers, resumes, and what happens between the bullet points.